And then the other half of that is how do you get your potentially ex-spouse to understand that every minute that we spend uh, going back and forth is costing us more. So essentially, like, you could drain me dry of what could have been in your pocket. That was one of my guests on today's show, Shine the Chef, and we're also joined by family law attorney Ross Ewing in today's part two of our discussion on Divorce 101. And we're going to talk about it from three separate angles. Uh, Me as a therapist, uh, Ross Ewing as an attorney, and Shine the Chef having recently gone through divorce. So we're going to jump into some more prickly topics. Um, So we'll be right back. and you hosted by toby jenkins a licensed marriage and family therapist serving central kentucky each week toby will bring you a show with a topic related to mental health relationships or self-improvement the name of the show paradigm comes from that moment in the therapy process when a profound shift in perspective happens for a client an epiphany sometimes accompanied by physical reaction that leads them to look at things differently and make significant steps towards improving and enriching their lives. And we are back. You are listening to Paradigm Insights into Relationships and You. Today we're talking divorce. Uh, Sticky topic. My guest is Ross Ewing, uh, family law attorney in Kentucky and Shine the Chef. So, you know, um, you know, we've, we're talking quite a bit about some of the complications with um, custody arrangements. Um, you know, just kind of like back in, you know, to kind of from definition, what is alimony? What is child support? Um, how are those things determined in the process of going through a divorce and is that something that couples can work through in mediation? Sure. So um, both of those issues are going to be very specific to each state. Um, mm-hmm. Each state has its own child support formulas and each state has its own rules about alimony, which here in Kentucky we call maintenance or maintenance. Um, so and, and the rules vary widely, I will just say. So I'll, I'll use my Kentucky example. We have no formula for alimony or maintenance. We have never had a formula. There's no table. There's no guidelines. It's whatever the judge thinks based on the facts of the case. Really? Um, it is. It still is. Wow. Um, the same time, we just updated our child support guidelines for the first time since 1991 or two. And those guidelines were based on 1987 cost of living data. So we were way overdue on some of that stuff. So both of them vary widely by state. Um, And yeah, absolutely. So so talk to a lawyer ASAP if you're worried about calculating your (laughs) your child support or alimony. Alimony is what? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. So um, alimony or maintenance is a payment from one ex-spouse to another. Um, In Kentucky, it's designed to be rehabilitative. So 
if at the end of a divorce process, you have one spouse who cannot meet their own reasonable needs through their employment or through the property they've been awarded, the court may say the other spouse has to pay them some money for whatever period of time. Um, so the classic example is in a very long-term marriage, let's say I'm going to be sexist for a minute, but you have a wife who gave up a career mm -hmm. to raise children and the children are grown. So she's not going to get any child support and they, there's some assets to divide, but maybe she's re-entering the workforce at Macy's, uh, you know, rather yep. than in a publishing career. Mm -hmm. And she needs some help to get her career restarted or get back on her own feet. You know, that, that's the classic example. Um, yeah. What, do you, what is a reasonable, oh, sorry, Toby. No, go um, ahead. What's a reasonable time frame for that though? Like, yeah. I mean, so, when you say rehabilitative, because, you know, I think that could um, promote some uh, slow growth, let's say. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's the fear, right? Absolutely, that's the fear. And so um, th that's one side of it. The other side of it is that, getting back in the workforce is hard. Like it's mm -hmm, for real right. hard. Um, and that, that yeah. that's, there's no two, two cents about that. Um, no two ways about it. But the, again, in Kentucky, we don't have a formula. Um, one of my mentors, because we didn't have, he's a, a guy who's now passed away. His name was Judge Keller, Judge James Keller here in, in Lexington, great guy. He, because we didn't have a formula, he would survey every single case he could find, published or unpublished about maintenance. And every year he would give it to the bar and just show people what they were doing. And I've tried to keep that tradition going in my practice since he passed. But what we find is that in Kentucky, generally speaking, maintenance ends up lasting somewhere from like 20 to 30% of the length of the marriage. Um, so if you were married for... 10 years, maybe somebody will get three years to get back on their feet, um, something like that. So what I will say from my perspective is the more, if I have somebody who wants, wants spousal maintenance, wants alimony, my be the best thing I can do for them is say, we need to show a very specific plan about for you. Do you need to finish that bachelor's degree? Does that take 18 months and cost ah, how much money? That's like, a beautiful thing. So we come in, when I'm doing it, I come in with a very specific proposal and I say, judge, my client is waiting on tables right now. She can get this coding degree and do medical coding. She needs 24 months and she needs, you know, however much money per month to make the bills meet. And she needs him to pay the cost of this class she needs for that license. And that, that almost always works because the guy who would pay it is always fine with that, right? Like he's mm -hmm. always right. like, okay, cool. That makes sense. Um, when you come in and you just say, judge, I need you to take care of me for life. That doesn't always go so well. Yeah. So do they consider, um, do they take into account like livable wage, like as a versus, I mean, you know, like you said, you mentioned waiting tables, like what's the cutoff there in terms of like saying, Hey, you know, you can probably make it on your own. Yeah. It's hard. Right. Um, so it, it varies for each case. Um, the standard of living during the marriage matters a little bit. Um, frankly, the judge's opinions about it matter a little bit. I was in mm -hmm. court not too long ago mm -hmm. and the person was saying, I need maintenance. I only make $50,000 a year. And the judge was going, some of these attorneys in front of me aren't mm -hmm. making that, you know, some mm -hmm. of the county right. attorneys and the public defenders aren't making what you make, you know, lots of people right. in this county can live off of $50,000 a year. Yeah. Um, and so it, it, the, the personality of the judge matters quite a bit in this one. Yeah. Cause I've, I mean, what I've seen is in, in I think my case and several of, them, of my friends, uh, because maybe the spouse made less, and they lived at a certain amount, uh, mm -hmm. let's say lifestyle, 
initially they're scared. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So they're like, no, I need like a thousand dollars a month. I'm like, hold on. Like, really do you need like, you know, whatever that number is. And it's like, man, like if I give you that, how do you expect me to live or whatever the case may be? Right. You know what I'm saying? Well, and the ability to pay is relevant. So we have a funny old quote from an old case in Kentucky that says that we have, we have maintenance so that the Duchess does not become a scullery maid, right? These old <laughs> right. English titles of nobility, right? And so I, when I was teaching my students about this recently, I was saying like, think about it. We, we struggle with that. Like a Duchess, like who are the Duchesses? Like we're talking like, like Duchess Kate, like we're talking about mm-hmm. like married to a prince. We're talking like right. way, way, way up there. And so we were, I was asking like, who are the, who are they in America? And they were sort of saying they're Kardashians, you know, like, right, Trump, right. like Bill Gates. I mean, they're these really, really wealthy women. And so obviously they are not going to wait tables, right? Um, if they've been married for 30 years and been doing that. But I think, um, and I'm probably venturing my own opinion about this too much, um, you know, having to go from shopping at Kohl's to shopping at Target is not quite the same thing, right? Like, because <laughs> you can never maintain the same standard in two households using the same income. You just can't. The economy right. don't work that way. And yeah. so um, I probably said too much there, but. No, I think that's great. No, that's, um, it's, it. And so it's interesting because um, this really work. this applies when there's a huge uh, income inequity. And so when there isn't inequity, then there's no, no alimony or maintenance, uh, right? Very rarely. Again, I'm in Kentucky. So our law is kind of, we're kind of the wild west on this. Um, yep. But if you, if you looked at states that had really good formulas, if their people are making similar income, this is just not a conversation they have. Yeah. <clears throat> and so then child support um, in its name is, is, you know, self-explanatory. How is that determined? Sure. So um, every state has to have child support guidelines. Um, the interesting thing is that until until next month, the guidelines in my state do not take into account the amount of time each parent spends with the child. Um, So like, you know, we had all these child support laws from the 80s and 90s, but guess what? Like dads didn't see their kids in the 80s and 90s, right? Mm -hmm. At least not the way that they do now. And so for the longest time, when we started this presumption in Kentucky that everybody would have 50-50 time, we had no law on what that meant for child support. We didn't. The legislature passed one without the other. So we've been struggling with that for a long time. That's kind of the hot thing happening in child support land right now is what, um, you know, how do you factor in time? You know, maybe we've got this data that says, you know, it costs $800 a month to raise a kid if everybody makes this amount of money. Um, but what if you've got the kid half the time, you know, or. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, because in my, I'm sorry, Ross, in my, no, in my no. case, like I'm sitting here like, Hey, I get the kids half the time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have to feed, clothe mm-hmm. half the time. So why am I paying? Right? You get what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Like it's like, well, it, there's nothing. There's no loss here, or there's no like, nobody's winning more than the other in that case to me. Yeah. Right. So it's kind of like, I mean, I know we we did our own agreement and all that, but like looking back on, it, I'm like, hey man, I don't know about this. Like this doesn't look right. Yeah. Yeah. So the the idea of child support when it comes right down to it, and it you know, pop culture child support has a lot of bad rap for a lot of, and for a mm-hmm. lot of reasons, kind of like attorneys, we have a bad rap for a bad <laughs> right. reason, for a lot of reasons. But the, at bottom is the idea that the, you, you know, your child's 
daily life standard of living should not suffer because you and your ex can't get along anymore. Right. right. So, you know, you don't want a kid going hungry because mommy and daddy can't get along anymore. And let's say mommy makes a bunch of money and daddy doesn't. And, you know, you right. don't want you don't want that child to suffer. Now, what, what what Sean hit on so correctly is that some of those expenses you have in both houses, right? Like you got to keep heat on, you got to keep electric on in both those houses, you got to keep a bed in both mm-hmm. of those houses. And some of those expenses don't. Some of those expenses like baseball cleats can go back and forth or, you know, the baseball bat, whatever other expenses kids have can go back and forth. Mm-hmm. And so we're really figuring that out still is sort of what that looks like in this yeah. modern time when kids still have two active parents. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, to go to your point, Sean, um, I also see from a therapy standpoint, uh, parents keeping every receipt. Mm. Yeah, I've heard and of that. Counting, I don't. Yeah, accounting every penny and making sure that um, every, you know, they get their money, you know, they're not paying any more than they should. But, you know, in these kinds of situations, <laughs> the kid ends up paying. Yeah. Mm. Yes, especially if they witness any of this. I mean, oh my gosh, it drives the judges crazy. It drives me crazy. It drives everybody in family law crazy when they find out that, you know, that the the child brought dad's payment, child support payment to mom on time sharing or that they fought about it in front of the child. And there's some apps and some other things out there these days that are helping with that some. You know, there's some apps on your phone where you can keep track of the payments and like (laughs) not quite Venmo, but they have built-in payment systems. What I do like about that is it, unless you're giving your child the phone, which is a whole other conversation, um, you know, they're not, they're not, they're not seeing that mom and dad are doing it they're seeing mom or dad send an angry text baby but that's nothing Mm. unusual yes well we're up against another commercial break uh you're listening to paradigm insights into relationships and you and we're talking divorce today with attorney russ ewing and shana shell we'll be right back This is Toby Jenkins, founder of Jenkins Couples and Family Therapy and host of Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You. Jenkins Couples and Family Therapy is a proud sponsor and supporter of Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You. At Jenkins Couples and Family Therapy, we work with couples, families, and individuals walking with you through life's challenges and transitions. You can find out more about Jenkins Couples and Family Therapy and request an appointment through telehealth or in person at www.jenkinscft.com. Dot com or by calling 859-806-0093. And we are back. You are listening to Paradigm Insights into Relationships and You. I'm your host, Toby Jenkins, and today my guests are Ross Ewing and Shana Chef. So here's um, a voicemail I got from a listener uh, describing a situation they encountered when they went started the process of getting a divorce. I was advised by a close friend to go seek this lawyer who was known as one of the tougher lawyers in the area. And when I reached out to that person, I found out that my um, ex-wife had already had on retainer for a year. So I was like, wow, somebody was playing. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, I reached out to uh, a couple of friends of mine and um, one buddy recommended me to a lawyer that um, I went and met with and I was real pleased with. And apparently they had dueled out before in other cases. So um, yeah, that was a little surprising, but why should I be surprised? 
And in my situation, um, my ex-wife and I both pushed back on both of our lawyers because it wasn't in the best interest of our family because our children were our first concern to make sure they were taken care of. Both lawyers were very aggressive with what they wanted to do. And like I said, both of us pushed back and we made some agreements to make sure that we're, we're well taken care of. So, um, so, you know, the thing with that is that um, I see a lot, maybe uh, Ross, you see this too. Uh, women tend in heterosexual relationships tend to pre-plan mm-hmm. and have been thinking about this for a while to know what to expect. Men tend to be impulsive. So Sean, you got a question around those lines, right? Yeah, because I, I often wonder, and uh, of course, hearing other stories, right? Especially a friend of mine who's going through it right now. Um, sometimes I wonder if the attorney has their pockets in the best interest or the, or the actual client, right? Um, and then the other side of that, the other part of my question is around how do you or maybe what are some some techniques or whatever the case may be where you're trying to convince the one spouse that, hey, the more the longer we go in this process, it's costing more and then it's affecting kind of the outcome in terms of what you may get as a benefit. Yeah. That's great. Well, so obviously, as the uh, as the attorney in the room, I have a couple of perspectives <laughs> on that. One, I would just say this, you know, um, Toby mentioned earlier, I think, or what uh, somebody mentioned earlier, you know, Ross, I don't know how you do what you do, or I don't know how you could do yeah. it all day. I do what I do because I like to solve the problem. You know, my approach to this is I was a kid who loved puzzles. And what is more interesting than a puzzle that has like children and money and people (laughs) and humans? Like, it's cool. I like solving the problem. Um, There are some personalities that come into this because they just like to win at all costs, right? And so, um, you know, when when you're picking a lawyer, that's really important to pick the right sort of fit for you. Um, some people don't want the problem solved. I will say this. There are lots of people who don't hire me because they have no interest in the solution or they mm-hmm. hire me and they fire me because they, they want to keep playing. They don't, they don't, they don't want to solve the problem. Um, so I do think that the, the personality of the client there matters some too, or the personality of the person. The other thing that happens is people hide behind their lawyers all the time. People hide behind me. They'll say, you know, man, I don't want her to know that I really feel this way. I'm, you know, so they'll hide behind me and they'll, they'll make me the bad guy or the boogeyman behind what, uh, what they're really saying or what they're really feeling. So that happens some too. But generally, I think when you're, when you're picking an attorney, again, the reputation is important. Your gut instinct is important. Um, you know, how you're treated in their office, I think is important when you go to visit them. Um, yeah, I think those things kind of matter. Um, and then the other, uh, in terms of ha- talking to your spouse, I, I, I got to be careful what I say here, but the, um, <laughs> man, so when I mediate, right, like a hundred percent of my cases that don't get resolved, have two lawyers who are doing all the talking a hundred percent. Yeah. And sometimes I will do this as I probably shouldn't be confessing this on the radio, but sometimes I will just try to get those lawyers out of the room. I'll say, oh, guys, come with me. Let's go get a cup of coffee and talk and leave these people alone for a minute. And I'll take them to my kitchen and we'll make coffee and I'll kind of keep them there for a minute. And then we'll come back and the folks are really ready to talk about the problem and get it done. Um, So I I see that. And sometimes just their presence. And it's not. And that is two lawyers doing a very good job. Like that is just that is them doing their role and then playing their role. And just by playing it, 
making the situation harder to solve. And mm. so, um, you know, sometimes anyway, my, when, when the lawyers are talking too much, I'll, I'll kind of interfere a little bit. So do you feel like most people inherently want to solve the problem or resolve the issues? So I think it's shifting. I'll be real honest. I think there's a big generational shift underway about that. I think the younger folks getting divorced want to go to mediation early. The folks who are the children of divorce, um, the kids who grew up in the 80s with the War of the Roses happening mm-hmm. in their household, they, they don't want to do any of that. Um, but but I will say, um, you know, mental health plays a lot in this too. Mm-hmm. Um, and people have to want to end it. They have to They have to want to move forward. And when somebody don't want to move forward, they will set all that money on fire. Um, yeah. And then mm-hmm. they, they can't help themselves. Yeah. Wow. You know, I, I want to shift a little bit um, because, um, you know, a lot of this discussion has, has, has been centered around traditional marriage, mm-hmm. but one of the big trends is that um, fewer and fewer people are getting married. They are yeah. cohabitating blending families, um, you know, from a, you know, when I was in grad school and doing research that made doing research on marriage is kind of difficult because you rely on the paper trail. So how does this whole process work when the couples are not married, but are all intents and purposes married, but not a, no, no ceremony on paper. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you are speaking my lingo, buddy. This is sort of the, so this has been the main focus of my practice or sort of what I end up teaching a lot about or talking a lot mm-hmm. about is just sort of the way families have changed. I mean, what is the changing understanding of family? How do we go forward? So ironically, and when people were talking about same-sex marriage or marriage equality, you know, it's ironic, but one of the biggest benefits of marriage is a divorce. You have this nice mm-hmm. orderly way you can wind down your relationship. Now, it won't feel orderly to you, but it's a, there's at least rules. <laughs> There are Mm -hmm. parameters, there are guidelines, there's things like alimony, there's things like how property gets divided. Um, If you don't get married, you don't, you don't get to use that system, right? So you sort of have to create your own system with your, Hmm. with your spouse. Um, And you, it's kind of cool. Like you can look at that as an opportunity to sort of live out your own values or sort of put your own beliefs and principles and paper and into practice. The problem is when you can't agree, the you don't necessarily have the court there to, to help you in the same way. That is fascinating. I, you know, the way you yeah. said that, I never thought about it. That yeah. Way. An orderly, orderly way to break it down. That's, I was like, Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it probably didn't feel orderly to you, but I, it probably was a lot more orderly than it would have been without a divorce <laughs> statute to go to and use. Like, yeah. So yeah. Um, to maybe to rephrase uh, the, the legal system, works for divorce because marriage is a state sanctioned institution bingo absolutely yeah wow I, that, okay that's kind of like the fact of the of the interview so far I, yeah <laughs> we because you know um family formations are taking all well, well actually they've mm-hmm. always taken all kinds of yes. shapes and forms yes right Absolutely. Um, and I think we're getting, as a culture, we're getting more open to the many different ways family can look. Um, yeah. Even when we start talking about biological, non-biological children, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> we used to call them play cousins <laughs> back in the <laughs> day, or, or, or even like currently, we have some really good friends and they're so close. Our kids call them aunt and uncle. Yeah. Um, 
and this might be too much information, but, you know, um, in planning our, you know, our end of life documents, you sure. know, each, each time we, we do that, we think, well, they are our logical choice of course. Um, yeah. to, if something happens to us and they're not blood related. Um, so, um, so then how does a couple who's been together, not married, they say, yeah. Hey, I'm done with this. Yeah. They have kids or no kids. Let's say they have kids. Yeah. How does that process look different versus if they were married? Sure. So, um, oh boy, where to start? The, um, <laughs> if they have kids in some ways, it's almost a little easier because there's an anchor there. There's a way to have a court case. Um, you know, if you've got, because what ends up happening in the vast majority of those is those folks end up usually in mediation with somebody coming up with an agreement, right? Like they've, you almost have to, like we talked earlier about how in mediation, you're in the driver's seat. And if you go to court, a judge decides, well, there's a lot of judge just cannot do for people who never got married so that mm -hmm. they just can't do it. Even if, whether you want them to or not, um, you know, they can't divvy up your house or they can't, you know, give you alimony in Kentucky or they can't um, you know, do, do all that stuff. So um, what's nice about a case with kids is you then have a court case, you can go kind of lodge this agreement in and you can say, hey, judge, we've agreed to these things about custody and time sharing and support. And by the way, we've also agreed that, you know, um, partner A is going to stay in the house for another six months and that's cool. And, you know, partner B is going to pay for the cell phone or whatever. You, you have a way to kind of make a contract between the two mm -hmm. of you. Um, and the kids can kind of be the anchor of that um, versus if you don't have two, if they don't have children they're just making a contract. We used to, so before, can I tell you one story? Before Absolutely. the days of marriage equality, when people would get, when same-sex couples would um, divorce in effect, or when they would break up, if they owned property, I would always have one of them go file a lawsuit to divide the house, even if nobody wanted to, because whatever agreement we came up with, we could enforce within a lawsuit to break up that house and like divide the house between the two of them. So like if they... Wow we just had to get so creative and be so outside the box because families do whatever families have to do. Um, and the law just doesn't always keep up. And so, yeah, at, anyway, but get married if you can, it'll make it a lot easier, but that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's gonna so you're saying like, yeah. basically you kind of like, uh, let's say trick the system a little bit <laughs> in order to, to give them order yeah. right in, in that division. Yeah. That's, that's right. cool. Yeah, we need we needed we needed order and we need to bring order to chaos. That's yeah, that's the driving fact of my job. And that's why I like it. And that's why I enjoy it as I enjoy bringing some stability and sense to the, the, the chaotic mess. And so we, wow. we would kind of trick the system is the good word for it. Yeah, man. Yeah. <clears throat> well, we're up against another commercial break. And, you know, that's something, um, you know, we we I, you know, I want after the break, I'd like to talk about more of the kind of situations that don't fit into yeah. the legal system per se um, um but yeah we'll, we'll get into that i have a bunch of questions for you so um you're listening to paradigm insights into relationships and you we'll be right back after the break This is Toby Jenkins, host of Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You, and this is Women in Insight. Another dynamic that is fairly common when we're in the sandwich generation is what's called cross-generational collusion. Now that's a fancy therapy term for saying that your parents are undermining your parenting. So benign example, you tell your child that they cannot have ice cream after dinner, 
but you come back and grandma, grandpa is fixing ice cream for your child. So that's the benign example. Or you feel judgment or there's a clear difference in how you parent versus how you were parented. And there's always this lingering feeling or sentiment that there's something wrong with my parenting. So those are common dynamics that create tension and often difficult conversations to have. And so when you're in this situation, the more you can talk about it and be clear on who is playing what role and when, especially when it comes to parenting, the better. And that keeps everyone on the same page and keeps feelings from getting hurt. This is Toby Jenkins, host of Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You. One of the biggest stresses that we encounter is money. Money issues strain our family life, create stress in our relationships, and can provoke serious anxiety and depression. And many don't know where to turn to get relief. That's where the Darius Norman Show comes in. The Darius Norman Show airs daily on WTTA FM 101.2 from 1 to 2 p.m. Darius Norman is a certified credit and financial counselor and author of Rewriting Financial Rules. It's his objective to empower others with educational tools and services to assist them in taking control of their financial and credit issues. Tune in to The Darius Norman Show on WTTA FM 101.2 and you can follow him on Twitter at The Darius Norman Show. help positively transform schools? Then let me, Joel Cotty, keynote speaker and facilitator of the professional learning, Ignite, hashtag love in schools, put deep passion, purpose, and joy back into your classrooms, hallways, and school events. Share my contact information with a principal or district leader near you. My phone number is 859-967-8510 and find me on Twitter and Facebook at Ignite Love PD. And we are back. You're listening to Paradigm Insights into Relationships and You. I'm your host, Toby Jenkins. Today, my guest is Ross Ewing and Shine the Chef. Um, and before the break, we were talking about, uh, you know, you actually blew my mind. I'll say it again. Um, the biggest benefit of marriage is divorce. And that's because the state recognizes that institution and reg regulates it, so, so to speak. So... Um, so families have existed outside of the union of marriage forever. And a long, long time. Yeah. And so, you know, we were talking about before. So how do you go about this process if you are not, if you're cohabitating and more and more couples are doing that for, you mm -hmm. know, for many, many years. I mean, just as long as uh, people who are married lifelong cohabitation. Yeah. So, um, so mediation would be the first uh, line of attack if you want to dissolve the relationship. So it gets thorny, right, with kids. So how does it work yeah. with children? Because this will probably bleed over into uh, same-sex couples with children. Um, so let's start there. How does it work with children? Because yeah. I think that's where we left off. 
before the break. That, that is, and it's such an interesting question. So the uh, to kind of lead into that, I would just say this. So people who are not married and are cohabiting and are doing whatever, I, I, I talk to a lot of them, right? They'll, they'll call me, they'll have legal questions, they'll want to know what should we do, should we do this, should we do that? And my take on it is always that you know, two consenting adults can do whatever they want. If they want to do, if they want to opt into a really disadvantageous system for themselves, that's absolutely fine. Um, but kids, you know, need need some stability, and so I, I usually encourage them to do something um, to shore up the legal relationships or to make legal the re- the psychological relationships that already exist. So. Okay. Traditionally, this would come up in my practice um, with same-sex couples, but especially two women. Um, so, you know, what they they would conceive a child, usually using an anonymous sperm donor, hopefully anonymous, hopefully correctly documented and all that. But somebody, <laughs> there'll be a kid, right? And only yep. one of them's on the birth certificate at the mm-hmm. time. This is all sort of before same-sex marriage. And and then what they would want to try to do, because um, that relationship might not last forever, Um, is either at the end of the relationship or hopefully before make a plan so that the other mom is recognized in some way and that that kid, kid, you know, and this is the part people lose sight of, that that kid who has always in his mind had two mothers can continue to have two mothers and have a relationship with both of them. So that's like the really classic easy example, but the, um, it's all, there's all kinds of ways it comes up now. And it it was never just same-sex couples. And actually now most of the same-sex couples get married because they can Mm -hmm. finally. Right. And so we're seeing this actually mostly not that way. Yeah. Um, so how about when it's two dads and they have children? Yeah. So two dads is fundamentally trickier um, because nobody's going to pop out a baby. Right. Um, right. And so <laughs> people ask me this all the time, like, why are all the cases about women? And I'm like, because one of them was at the hospital giving birth. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when there are two dads, that's that's not the case. I mean, they're setting aside some really specific things that can happen with a gender reassignment after you've frozen your genetic material and all that kind of stuff. But the um, for the most part, it doesn't happen. And so, you know, gay men, when they have kids have to plan and plan and plan for it and spend money and either do an adoption or mm-hmm. hire a surrogate. Um, you know, I, I do a lot of family formation in my law practice. And I will tell you the going rate, if you're going to do a surrogate, once you count legal fees and every all in, you're probably spending a hundred grand right now. Wow. Um, and so that is a very planned for, very desired child. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's a lot, but there's a lot of legal process that has to happen either in the adoption or the surrogacy route. They can't, they can't, you know, get a turkey baster and invite a friend over and have a baby nine months later. It's just a different path. So. Yeah, that's um, so, so there's Sorry, still a, that was probably too blunt. <laughs> no, no, no. That's uh, so there's still a huge financial barrier for, oh, men to have a child you know i'm always thinking about the the economics of it and yeah absolutely um, access and if you don't have resources you can't so if we're if we're talking about uh a a gay couple who don't have the means then being parents is just not in the car at least not legally to have all the i's crossed and t's dotted right right and and at the risk of getting personal. It's the reason my husband and I don't have children. Um, you know, oh. when we were younger, we couldn't afford any of these options except mm-hmm. possibly foster care, which he did not feel like he was emotionally up for the attachment mm-hmm. and disattachment. And I respected that. And now that we're, 
now that we we don't have a hundred grand sitting around, but now that we could potentially make a plan for it, you know, we have to look at our ages and what's fair for that child. He's a little bit older than I am. Is mm-hmm. it appropriate for someone in their mid fifties to bring a newborn into the house? We, we don't feel like that's right for us. And so, yeah. you know, you, you can miss your window um, you if you didn't come into a lot of inherited wealth and, and we're at peace with that. I'm not like walking around resenting that or something, sure. but you know, that, that, candidly people say to me all the time why don't you have kids and i was like we didn't have a hundred thousand dollars when i was 22 (laughs) (laughs) wow that is um you know those kind of realities hit hit us in a lot of different ways but uh you know you put a dollar figure on it i don't never. i don't think i've put a i've heard a dollar figure on it so basically what we're saying is heterosexual couples uh financial jump into being parents relatively small a yeah. lesbian couples jump for financially is a little bit higher mm-hmm. but for two men it's a hundred thousand dollars it's a, or a single man you know that's the other thing people yeah. lose sight of there there are I, i've done adoptions and certain surrogacies both involving a single totally heterosexual dad and who and they can be fantastic parents too and they get a lot of sort of implicit bias against that but they mm-hmm. can be great parents um but yeah absolutely and you know and then the kids are expensive once they get there i mean it's a hundred yes. grand up front and then you've got to pay for everything <laughs> on top of that and yeah. so... <laughs> my, my wife is an accountant and we often talk about the uh cost benefit <laughs> show with kids uh-huh. and so from a legal so if i if i understand you correctly um if if you're parenting a child, no matter what your family or relationship configuration, and you're not the biological parent, then on the front end, there needs to be some type of legal documentation, et cetera. Yeah. If you intend if you intend to raise a child with someone and that other person be in that child's life forever, mm-hmm. um, and you really want to commit to that, you should a, see a lawyer um, and see mm-hmm. if there's something you can do legally. And B, if you have the option, and this is where I'm going to sound downright Victorian, but mm-hmm. if you have the option to marry that person and make them a legal parent, I think you need to think about it real long and hard for the kid's sake. Um, gotcha. But, you know, and there are some situations where you just, that's not an option. Maybe there are three parents in the mix, or maybe mm-hmm. there are other barriers um, that, that people can overcome, but I, you know, I, it's sort of like a prenup solving it on the front end, yep. um, really yeah. takes away some of the ability to fight it at the back end. You know, that kind of leads me into, uh, a, another topic. So, you know, we've talked about how, how much money it costs to do this. Um, and a lot of yeah. families don't no. have the money to do <laughs> this. Yeah. So if you're in a situation either married or cohabitating, um, or like I was, I, uh, had a new, uh, cl- new couple, uh, earlier this week. And I often, um, kind of get some family background about both of them and the husband in this case, uh, fairly normal. Um, his parents didn't stay together, but his dad has multiple children with multiple women mm-hmm. and raised mm-hmm. a lot of them and even raised kids that weren't his, which is admirable and awesome but um what what do you i mean so if you're in that situation where your family doesn't meet the legal definition of marriage and you've got all these kids so and no resources what do you do (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. So this comes up, right? Um, mm -hmm. And and um, and where we're really seeing it, and and I kind of alluded to this earlier, where I think then where the law is going next, if I had to guess, is on um, households with more than two parents. You know, we see some of that, or we see, um, like you said, a, a mixed a whole bunch of kids with sort of mixed status. They have mixed mm -hmm. amounts of biology, mixed amounts of legal status, and they don't know. How would they know? They're just being kids. Um, so I think that's kind of where we're headed next. And so, you know, it, at least in Kentucky, and I think in most states, um, people have a right to make an agreement, right? You can make an agreement with somebody else, get those parents in the room, communicate, open communication is key. You can talk to a mediator and come up with some kind of enforceable agreement that you can do later on. And it's the ability to enforce it down the road that is crucial. Um, mm -hmm. Now, what's interesting about that is that doesn't bind anybody who's not a part of it, right? So like you can say, oh, well, I've always gonna recognize like, um, uh, it's probably easier to explain with an example. You can say, you know, we've got these, um, we've got these three parents in our house. We've got, you know, two moms and a dad, and we're going to raise these kids, and we're all going to treat them all equally. And mm -hmm. great, excellent. You've committed to that. You've made an agreement. You're gonna, you can hold each other accountable. Well, when one of those parents that you think is a parent who's not a legal parent, if they die. Yeah. Social security is not a part of that agreement. Yes. You know, um, mm -hmm. the life insurance company doesn't know about it. Mm -hmm. um, the IRS surely isn't, um, oh. you know, like the, these, especially the state actors, but these other big, big, big financial actors out there, they have their own rules. They have their own regulations. And, you know, in my, in this sort of wild west stuff, we do everything we can for people, but I, I can't tell the IRS or social security what to do. Yeah. That's a, that's a whole nother bag of worms here. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're up against a commercial break. Um, <laughs> today we're talking divorce and all the nuances of it with uh, Ross Ewing, family law attorney in Lexington, Kentucky, and Shine the Chef. We'll be right back. You've got mail. You've got mail. Today's listener mail comes from a 42-year-old divorced mother of two. Ah, fits with our topic. I got divorced eight years ago and have been dating my boyfriend for four years. My boyfriend, who was 48, continues to send me mixed messages. One day he wants to marry, the next day he doesn't. My boyfriend is the only child of a protective single mother who thinks her only son can do no wrong. This boyfriend has told me he only plans to introduce the, the woman he's going to marry to his mother, and I have not met her or too many people in his family. My friends tell me I should get out of this relationship because he's a mama's boy. Are they right? Mm, Sean, oh, that sound like you a little bit. I think that she needs to try to dig into understanding him. Well, let, let me even, even further, he needs to understand, he needs to dig into understanding himself, mm -hmm. right? And he also probably needs to look at his relationship with his mother. And what that's doing in his life, like what impact is that having in his life and why, you know, there's different reasons why we shy away from marriage or why, you know, moms can come into your uh, relationship mm -hmm. <laughs> and affect them, um, especially being an only child, because you have a direct tie to her that is probably a little bit different because you didn't have a father there there's you know the relationship can be a little bit different and even from his mother's perspective like she probably doesn't realize the impact she's having on him by her behavior mm -hmm. right so that's that's a bit of a 
a, a, a mess or a tangled web that mm-hmm. is probably going to be difficult for her to even have that conversation because it looks, it seems like nobody sees it. Yep. Yeah. Right. And so, and mm-hmm. she's probably not the me- right messenger and he's probably not interested in getting help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> see it. Very true. You know, so you would tell her to run. <laughs> um, I, I think she needs to decide what is, what does she want and mm-hmm. does it fit and understand that if it doesn't work, that it's okay. Yeah. yeah what, what would you uh, advise this uh, listener to do, Russ? Ross? Um, you know, well, I, I would say this. I, I think there are all kinds of relationships with, that can work, right? And people have different relationships with their families and that can work too. Like my, my husband and his sister don't talk once a year. My sister and I talk almost every day. Hmm. And we, he and I have a perfectly fine relationship, um, but I think communication is key. The one thing that jumped out to me and where my mind went is what about those three kids, Um, you know, and if they probably need to have a conversation about what role this man is going to keep playing in their lives um, for those kids sake. And so I I think talk, talk, talk is sort of my my thought. Yeah, that's great perspective. Um, You know, the only thing I'll add to that is, um, Sean, you kind of hit on something in in therapy terms we, we call like enmeshed relationships where basically you overstep your bounds boundaries in a relationship. And it's, it sounds like, um, kind of what you said, this special relationship, there's also a term we call being parentified where mm-hmm. a parent will treat a child like an adult. And so in this, in this case, it sounds like this mother and son, the son may be son and husband or pseudo husband. Yep. So therefore, like when he's in a relationship, we in a relationship. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I would tell this, uh, you know, this, this listener, um, uh, to run probably. Um, yeah, because it would take some pretty serious intervention to only be in a relationship in a proper relationship that she wants with this that's boyfriend right. and not with the mom too. So, uh, that's today's listener mail. Hope we helped. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back with more paradigm insights into relationships and you with Toby Jenkins. And we're back. You're listening to Paradigm Insights into Relationships and You. I'm your host, Toby Jenkins. And today, my guest is Ross Ewing and Shine the Chef. And, um, you know, <laughs> we ended the, ended the, ended the previous uh, uh, segment with um, basically there are a lot of nuances and intricacies of couples that are not married, so to speak. Yeah. And yeah. I'm always keeping my eye out for... Um, the economic or the financial barriers to getting served. Um, so, um, you know, if, um, if you were in a situation where you don't have a lot of resources, you need to end your cohabitated uh, relationship or marriage, what, what would be kind of the lowest or minimal amount you would expect to have to pay to get that resolved? Yeah. So, um, in a, traditional law firm or a law practice, you know, that's going to vary some depending on where you are. I will say where I am, even if the, even if the two parties agree on all the terms, like they've come in, sometimes people do this, they'll come in my office, a little notebook, and they've written it out themselves, then they need to make it legal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're probably still going to spend a thousand dollars. Now that wow. makes me sound like I'm a greedy guy. Um, <laughs> and I told you last time I didn't have a hundred thousand dollars sitting around and I meant, right. it. um, 
but about a third of that's going to go to their court costs and filing fees right off the top. Um, court costs are expensive. That's a reality. Um, and then, you know, you're paying somebody for their time to do the rest of it. I, I will say that we have a, if I can plug a nonprofit, we've got a great one Absolutely. here in Lexington called Micah Legal. Um, it's a, it's a model that's a national model, but the idea is that it, exists to serve folks who make too much money to get legal aid because the legal aid amount is really, really low. Like the, mm-hmm. their income guidelines are really low. Mm-hmm. Um, but folks that can't afford to pay me $250 can get an attorney that they pay $20 an hour rather than $250 an hour. Mm-hmm. And so the idea, and it's, it, they get some grants that subsidize it and it's a sliding scale. You know, if you're depending, and it depends on your family size and your earning, but if, you know, if you're only making, Twenty-five or thirty thousand dollars a year, and you've got a couple of kids. You can often get representation at a very discounted rate. Um, and the idea is that the folks who are at the upper end of the scale are making that possible for the folks at the lower end of the scale. And so this is a really interesting thing. It's it's really kind of revolutionized what we're doing here in Lexington. Um, sadly, mm-hmm. they can only serve here, yeah. um, but it's yeah. a it's a national model that's catching on. And I you know it, check it out, see if there's one near you if if you need those resources because again. Legal aid is so backed up. Even if you are poor enough to qualify for legal aid, the wait list right now for family law is enormous. So when you say legal aid, that's that's a term I'm not familiar with. What is that? Oh, sure. Yeah. So um, it probably goes by something different everywhere. Um, but, <laughs> but here, uh-huh. um, legal aid is our civil legal services, sort of like a public defender's office. Gotcha. Um, but for civil issues, which can include divorce, domestic violence, child custody, um, but they have very strict income guidelines and you know, you have to be at the federal poverty guideline level, um, which is just really, really poor. Um, and, and there are a lot of folks who, you know, um, shelf groceries and, and work at Amazon warehouses and have mm-hmm. and, and make their ends meet otherwise, but really can't come in and drop several thousand dollars on a divorce. So along those lines, like um, I often see uh, couples who can't, you know, the, the money is one part. Right. But then, you know, maneuvering the legal system creates another barrier, especially if you don't feel comfortable with the legal system yeah. or are afraid that something else is going to come up that might bite yeah, you. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. So then um, there are also ramifications for not divorcing, especially oh, if yeah. you're married. Um, oh, yeah. So, what are the, like in the situation where someone says, all right, we're, we're in real life, we're not together, but legally we couldn't do the divorce uh, for whatever reason. And so then what are the real risk or potential ramifications for that? Yeah. The, those things really keep me up at night to be honest. No. <laughs> so they, <laughs> there are some that are sort of non, non-issues, you know, you're still mm-hmm. married for social security purposes. If something happens, maybe one of you is entitled to some extra social security benefits, fine, whatever. I'm not worried about those. Um, but there are some liability exposures and they vary by state, but you know, if one of them's in a car wreck, um, in a, the car is a marital asset in certain states that exposes the other spouse, quote unquote, oh, no way. to potential civil liability, you know, you could get sued, um, you know, certainly you're not, you know, you're, you may not be able to get a mortgage on your house without that other person signing off. If you can't oh, even find them, you know, I have that happen a lot. I have folks who are like, I don't know. I think he went back to wherever he might be in Mexico. He might be in another country entirely. And yeah. they're unable to get their credit cleared up, unable to kind of navigate the financial system. 
Oh, those are those are way bigger than ones I was thinking about. <laughs> oh. <laughs> There's also an emotional cost to being married, but I, yeah, I, you know, I, I, you know, I was the common thing I hear mostly, and those are those are bigger than the ones I was thinking about. Usually, hear, oh, I'm starting to date again, but you know, I can't marry because I'm already married legally. Yeah, <laughs> that was well, funny. or. And the really wild thing, so in most states, including Kentucky, the legal spouse of a, of a woman who gives birth is the presumed legal father of that child. Um, so oh. if you've got like an estranged husband, um, so in my adoption practice, if I've got a birth mom who's, you know, making an adoption plan, she'll say, okay, well, this is my boyfriend, he's the dad, and here's the last one letters of my husband, you're going to have to find him too. Um, wow. Yeah, th that can really get thorny with parentage and, and, and those kind of issues. Oh, oh man, that, that is so wow, wow. Um, oh, and you know, um, that the, the civil part is I didn't even think about that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, just the legal jeopardy you put your ex-partner in because you haven't legally dissolved the relationship. Jeez. Yeah. Um, so we talked a little bit about, about prenuptials. Um, yeah. A client of mine introduced me to something I'd never thought of or heard of, which is a postnuptial. Yeah. Um, I assume that's not very common, but what do you, what is it exactly? Yeah. So um, I'll talk about prenups first, because I think it'll make a little more sense. But so at, at core, at, at the core of it, a prenuptial agreement is two people saying, hey, we're aware the law causes all these consequences for our marriage, and we're going to decide we want these different consequences. We want a different system for dividing our stuff if we break up. We want a different system for what each of us is entitled to if the other one dies. Um, that that's there's nothing new about that. Sometimes people think, oh, prenups are new. Prenups are not new. Like in, yep. in ancient Israel, people had prenups. There's nothing right. new about them whatsoever. Um, Postnups, however, are kind of new. And there are, and the, their availability varies by state. Every state's mm -hmm. law is different. Um, but some people, uh, while their marriage is ongoing and in the middle of their marriage, will try to make agreements that say one of two things if we ever get divorced, we want to change the rules. We want these new rules we've come up with about who gets what, or if one of us passes away, we want to change these rules. Mm -hmm. um, and so where the, the, the most common way I see them come up is that if you have somebody who's like in, about to inherit their business, like maybe their, mm -hmm. maybe their dad owned a company and their dad's about to retire and they're going to come into the business. Well, they'll do a postnuptial agreement to try to keep the other spouse from getting an interest in that business if they get divorced mm -hmm. or make sure that that's the kind of way it tends to come up there there some states they're pretty shaky ground so definitely talk to a lawyer about it um don't yeah don't assume it's going to work for you uh yeah the, the one i became aware of was kind of done in between sessions and i was like when i heard about it in the next session i was like what are you because <laughs> it was it was laden with behavioral kind of stuff if i oh, do this ooh. then that mm -hmm. and and this client of mine just took on all the risk and i was like wow man that is really really have you thought through this and yeah that's interesting it, yeah it was very interesting and that was the first time i'd ever heard about uh post -nup. so 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 Ross, you are running at the moment unopposed to be the family court judge in Lexington. Yes, sir. Um, and so um, why would you want to, no, just kidding. 
<laughs> no, it's a fair question. Um, so my first job right out of law school, I worked for a judge who's now retired. And then I went out into practice for myself. So I, I have some idea of what I'm getting myself into. Yeah. I know it's a lonely job. I know it's unglamorous. Um, you know, I, at the end of the day, I, the real answer is that um, about a year ago, my dad had a pretty big heart attack. And mm. I got to thinking about how I wanted to spend whatever time I got. You know, um, when he was in the hospital, my mom made this offhanded comment about how the Ewing men don't last very long. And I (laughs) went and consulted the family tree and thought, oh, my God, she's not she's not lying. This is wild. Um, And so, um, you know, I got to think about just kind of what I wanted to do. And and I'm not bored practicing law. I like my practice. I like mediating. I I just feel like I've kind of had the kinds of I've made the kinds of difference I can make already. You know, I've, Mm. I teach, I've, I've made new law. I've made Mm -hmm. new cases. I've written court rules. No one follows. I've got to help a bunch of people. And, um, you know, I just want to try to have a different impact or have an impact in a different way. That's awesome. Actually. Um, it, it's a hard job, a needed job. Um, many of the resources involved in family court are understaffed and funded. And like, like you said, um, you can really make a difference there. Um, yeah. Ah, Cause you know, I, I kind of jokingly said it, but um, when you do your job well, no one will know, but if right. you make a controversial decision, everybody will be pissed off with you, unhappy with the decision. Um, so it's, yeah. a, it's a hard job. And I, you know, uh, hats off to you for taking this on <laughs> and, and making a difference with it. Uh, you're going to be good at it. Oh, I appreciate that. Um, so yeah, that's pretty good. That's awesome, actually. Um, so, um, you know, the time we have left, um, how can people, well, I'm assuming once you become judge that you will, uh, oh. It's tricky. I'm, I'm winding down my law practice, which some other conversation about grief and unconventional ways to grieve some other time. Um, so you can find me online if you want to reach out to me, if you've heard something in here that you wanted, had a question about, or there's some way I can help you. Um, I'm at familylawlexington.com for a couple more months. Um, and okay. then I'll be having to shut up, but you, you can tell how hard that's going to be, but I'm going to keep yeah. my mouth shut <laughs> and having my new job. And I'll, I'll spend the rest of this year teaching and mediating, but I, I'm not gonna be able to take any new cases. That's awesome. Well, you got a couple months if you need mediation or legal uh, family law help. Well, well, Ross, thank you so much for taking this time out. Um, I always say uh, if we've helped one person, then this time has been well worth it. Absolutely. Because um, there's so many people uh, that um, end up trying to make kind of a crash course decision with this. Yeah. Um, end up with a lot of regrets. So absolutely. Um, so hopefully we've helped someone. So thank you so much for your time and thank your you. knowledge and willingness to make a change and uh, make a difference in people's lives. So you've been listening to Paradigm Insights into Relationships and You. We'll see you again next week. paradigmradioshow.com. You can find archive shows and additional details about guests of the show at the show's website, www.paradigmradioshow.com. You can follow weekly one-minute insight posts on the show's Instagram and Twitter feed at Paradigm Radio Show. 
For archived episodes, you can find episodes wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Insights into Relationships and You is brought to you by Jenkins Professional Services and Hype Media Global. Thank you for tuning into Paradigm. Insights into Relationships and You with Toby Jenkins. Join us again.